Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. Happy Sunday to you. It's good to be with you again, even online. My name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here at the Town Church. Uh, the role that I have on staff um, as a pastor here is the pastor of preaching and, and casting vision for us to, to see where God is, is taking us. So, um, that's me. If we haven't met, I look forward to the day where we're able to meet face-to-face and, and get to know one another. I'll say this in the very beginning. If you're looking for a church home, if you're looking for a church family, we would love to help you in that. We, we would love to, to help you in that search. We've said this multiple times over the last several weeks, but, but the Bible's clear that the church is not the building, the church is not the programs, the church is not the, the functions that we can have, but the church is the people. And so if you're looking for a place where you can connect and be a part of a church family, a part of a people, we would love to help you connect. As a church, we're committed to seeing more and more of Jesus together uh, through God's Word. And that's always been the case for us for um, uh, 10 years now in in our existence. We've walked through books of the Bible together. That's been our rhythm not just to fill our heads so that we can have more knowledge and win an argument or, or, or um, be intelligent in front of people, but our desire is to fill our hearts and our minds with an understanding that leads to greater affection for Jesus. God, uh, God's word is clear that, that one of the greatest commands on our lives is that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and might. And Jesus in the New Testament includes to that that we would love the Lord our God with all of our mind as well. But, but still, what's the, the key word there? Love. It's about affections, that our affections would be growing. So all attention and honor and adoration and, and glory and worship go to Him. That's why we work through books of the Bible. That's why we walk through the pages of scripture. Really, at the end of the day, who cares if we win an argument or a trivia night some night, but that our affections are growing for God. And so that's um, what we are doing. And over the last three months, we've been in the gospel account of John. So if you'd go ahead and find a Bible and turn to the book of John. John is in the New Testament, which is the back half of your Bible. Um, You've got four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And this morning we're in chapter 6. We'll be starting in verse 22, making our way all the way through verse 58. Now that sounds like a lot, and the reason it sounds like a lot is because it is a lot, but my hope is that um, is that we're able to simplify this enough that we can um, get uh, the big idea of what's going on here from Jesus and giving us some overarching themes to consider as, as you dig into this more throughout uh, the coming week. And so that's my hope. We're just going to jump right in this morning uh, with what we see in these first verses, starting in verse 22, and we'll just use that as a springboard then into the rest of the passage. And, and, and here's how that begins. Seeking Jesus is not the same as faith in Jesus. Think about that for a second. I know we just jumped right in, but, but think through that. 
Seeking Jesus is not the same as faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? Let's just circle around that for a little bit and try to unpack that some. We're, we're living in a time right now that, that many people are probably looking for something to grab onto. Right, onto some religious leaning, maybe, of some kind. And I think we're probably living in a time right now that some are even seeking Jesus. They grew up with that. They, they had, they've heard about him, um, and, and they're seeking Jesus. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're listening in, watching, and that's you. You've never really given it much thought, but at this point, maybe you're in a place where you're saying, I'll, I'll try anything. Maybe that's you, seeking something, right? Seeking someone to bring some resolve to this chaos in my life. Maybe that's where you are. Well, let, let me say it again, and, and I say this with um, a lot of care for you, a great amount of care for you. Seeking Jesus is not the same as faith in Jesus. This idea that, well, I want to figure out how to find Jesus so uh, some of this mess in my life would get cleaned up, or, or, or I don't know how much more of this life I can take, and, and I need someone to do something to get me out of this mess. You're just seeking uh, Jesus, maybe. Seeking Jesus is not the same as faith in Jesus. And I think a, a picture of this dichotomy, these uh, opposing views, shows up in, in the very beginning verses of our passage this morning. Let's get into the context. Remember from from last week, if you were with us, what's just happening in in the opening verses of chapter 6, Jesus is trying to get away from the crowds uh, to be with his disciples. So he goes up into the hill country, away from the crowds, just off the coast of the Sea of Galilee, and finally there uh, alone. But then a crowd of 5,000 men, probably somewhere upwards of of 20,000 people combined, women and children, that crowd finds them and closes in on them. They want to see, this crowd wants to see Jesus do more amazing things because they've heard about him, right? They, they, they want to see him do some neat things, turn water into wine and heal people, just do something. They, they want that. Well, Jesus being a humble and hospitable servant asks the people to sit down. And from five cheap loaves of bread and a few pickled fish, he feeds the masses. It's miraculous. He provides in abundance and seeing that the people um, hype Jesus as a prophet and they, they want to parade him around uh, as their new king. Seeing all of that, Jesus then does what? He escapes the crowds and gets away by himself and his disciples take off in a boat to the other side of the lake. And in the middle of a storm, Jesus approaches them walking on water and to calm their fears in his authority, he says, what I I am, do not fear. And we ended last week with Jesus and the disciples on the other side, probably the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, That was last week. You you can imagine that when Jesus miraculously feeds 20,000 people and then dodges a crowd and walks across the water, that's going to invite quite a bit of seeking, right? That's going to invite quite a bit of seeking from other people. But again, seeking Jesus is not the same as faith in Jesus, Uh, Let's look at at the passage. Look at verse 22, and we'll read a few verses here to get started. 
Verse 22 of chapter 6. John says this, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the, other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. We'll stop there. Here's what John does. He tells us that that it's the next day. He gives us some detail, but it's the next day that the crowd full of their meal of wonder bread. They're, they're still working off the sardine sweats at this point, right? So they're coming. They notice that one boat had been um, taken from the shore, was no longer there. Neither were the, the disciples. Neither was Jesus. And so um, they're wondering, where, where are they? And over the course of the night, boats had come in and docked where they had eaten. And so the crowd got up and got in the boats, and they headed back toward Capernaum. Why? Read those last two words of verse 24. I want you to look at it. The, the last two words of verse 24, what do they say? What, why? What were they doing? Seeking Jesus. Or, or other translations may, may read, in search of Jesus. But, but why were they seeking? Right? Why were they seeking Jesus? We're, we're told that they find him on the other side of the sea and they, they call out to him, teacher, rabbi, or that's a term of honor. Teacher, when did you come here? Now, um, jump all the way down to verse 59, which we'll look at some later and some next week. Look at verse 59. We see that Jesus has this interaction with the crowd of people where? In the synagogue, right? So, so this is all unloaded. They're in the synagogue. They have this conversation. And they ask him, jump back up to the verses we were reading. They ask him, how did you get here? But, but Jesus doesn't answer the question. He sa- instead says emphatically and with authority, truly, truly, emphatically and with authority, in verse 26, the only reason you're seeking me is because of what I could do for you. I fed you. Right? I, I fed you. You ate your fill. You, you weren't even really all that amazed that the bread I gave you was provided miraculously. That's not even why you're seeking me. You're seeking me, and you want to be near me because you want to, to have a, a stop to your working to, to have food. It's, it's just about the practical thing I can do for you. Right? This is, a, in my mind, this is a notch below those who were seeking Jesus because of the, uh, the amazing signs and miracles he had performed. Right? This is just a crowd of people who like the idea of having a personal chef. Right? Seeking Jesus is not the same as having faith in Jesus. Who needs to hear that this morning? How many of us need to to come to grips with the truth that maybe we've been seeking Jesus because of what he can do for us? Not not a deep, deep faith in the person of Jesus, the one who came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Not, Not a deep faith in Jesus, the one who came to make us right with God. Not a deep faith in Jesus, the one who's worthy of all of our affection and worship. The the very reason that John wrote about these events in the life and ministry of Jesus is what? 
so that we would believe. You remember that? All the way back from the beginning, we've hit this multiple times. John finishes his book in chapter 20 saying what? He says, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. John didn't say these things are written so that you would really want to have Jesus do some amazing things for you, right? Because then the attention is on you, right, and not Jesus. No, all of the attention is to be pointed to Jesus. Believing leads to life in his name. Simply looking to be around Jesus, to benefit from his amazing miracles is different altogether than a life of faith in him that leads to worshiping him. Now, who may, who may need to hear that this morning? Right? Who may need to hear that and then take inventory of their own life? Remember the uh, Samaritan woman at the well from John chapter 4. Uh, Jesus tells her that, that God the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and truth. God is not interested in gathering a group of people who are looking, for their, looking out for their own personal gain. Seeking Jesus is not the same as faith in Jesus that leads to worshiping Jesus. And so Jesus tells the crowd, you're looking for the wrong thing. You're confused. Uh, look at verse 27. We'll, we'll read a couple more verses here. Look at verse 27. Uh, Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who, whom, he, who, whom he has sent. So they, they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. The, the crowd's confused. And so Jesus says in verse 27, you got the loaves of bread you wanted. And so because of that, you keep looking for the physical benefits that you would gain. You keep looking for food. You're working to find the food that uh, perishes. It all fades away. You're pursuing the physical benefits you think you'll get by chasing me down and having me be your prophet or your king. That's what you're looking for. That, that's the wrong direction. You're confused. Instead, Jesus says, look for the food that endures, that continues into eternity. And this theme, this metaphor, just follows all the way through the rest of this passage. Jesus says at the end of verse 27, God the Father has already approved me as the one who, who would give you food. No, no one else would do that. Nothing else can do that. And do you see how the crowd responds? Okay, Jesus, 
Uh, okay, uh, we get it. W- work for the food that it endures into eternity. We understand that. V- verse 28. What do we need to do then? What, what do we do? What, what work do we need to accomplish? What works of God should we be doing then? What, what do we have to do? And here's what they've missed altogether. Now, a life of faith is not about doing A life of faith is not about doing. A life of faith in Jesus is not about doing. Believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's come to offer life, that he's come to take away sin, that he's come to save, but belief in that is not about doing. And so Jesus answers their question in verse 28, and he says, you want to know about work. Okay, well, well, uh, this is the work of God. This is the will of God, the, the purpose of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Do you, do you see what Jesus is saying? Again, a life of faith is not about doing. It's about faith. It's about believing that Jesus has already done the work. The crowd doesn't get it. They don't understand at all that a life of faith is not about what they they can do for God, what they can show God, how they can prove something to God. They hear Jesus' words about believing, but they don't get out of this idea that that there has to be some proof, right? Well, we've we've got to show something. So they ask Jesus, okay, well, there's got to be something to show for. What can you do? What work can you perform so that we can believe you, our, our, our ancestors, ate bread from heaven in the wilderness that Moses provided and, and proved his worth but by getting the people manna. So, so he did something. What can you do? And Jesus says, no, again, emphatically and authoritatively, truly, truly, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread. It was my father. Right? God gave the true bread from heaven, and that true bread is the one who comes from heaven. And again, the, the crowd doesn't get it. Just like the woman at the well back in chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, they say, well, well give us this bread then. We, we want that bread. Sign us up. We'll take several loaves of that bread. But a, a life of faith is not about doing. It's not about what you can do for God. And it's not about the tangible earthly good gifts that God can give you. A life of faith is not about doing. It's about believing. Believing that you cannot do anything to earn the favor of God. Believing that relationship with God is not simply based on what, you, what he can do for you. A relationship with God is based on what Jesus has already accomplished and not dependent on God living up to your standards, standards that you have set for him, but that he accepts you because of his son, and he's worthy to be worshiped, whether he provides for you in the ways you believe he should provide for you or not. It's not about what you can get out of God, but about, what, about the worship he deserves. It's not about what you get from God, but about the worship he deserves. I think this is, uh, the, this is religion and relationship defined. Do you understand the differences there? Religion says I have to do the right thing so that my life will be right with God. I've got to keep this up so that I can get from God. Relationship with God says 
Jesus has already done the right thing so that my life has been freely given to me from God. Life with Him is given. I wonder how many of us have mistakenly lived lives in religion and not in relationship. How many of us are scrambling to meet the right standards, say the right things, live the right kind of lives in in hopes that we may one day feel the acceptance of God? That's a, a tiring and uncertain rhythm of life. A few weeks ago, we, we remembered the death of Christ on Good Friday, and we celebrated the, his resurrection on Sunday. Um, and, and as we read through the crucifixion of Christ, we, we remember for, from the cross, Jesus says what? It is finished. Right? No more scrambling needed. I've done the work to open up access to relationship with God believe. I've conquered sin and its consequences forever. In defeating death at the resurrection, believe. That's the gospel, isn't it? To some, that that may be elementary, right? To, To some of us who have been in this for a long time, that may be elementary, but we still need to hear it, don't we? To some, this may be new, but welcome news. And so I would just say to you, hear this this morning. God is requiring nothing from you to be in relationship with him. Does that blow your mind? That the God of the universe wants to be in relationship with us and requires nothing from us because Jesus has accomplished it. Jesus has paid the price. That's freeing good news, isn't it? A life of faith is not about doing. It's not about doing at all. And the crowd cluelessly asks Jesus, give us some of this bread. We want that. And Jesus responds in verse 35. He responds to them. Look at verse 35. We'll read, we'll read some more. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And and so Jesus begins, we we see in verse 35, saying, you want bread? You've asked for this bread. You want bread? You want bread that gives life? Well, I am the bread of life. Here's another I am statement from Jesus. This is, this is divinely authoritative words from Jesus. You want bread? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will not be thirsty. I've already said that, that to you, and, and, and you don't believe. I've already said it. You don't believe. But Jesus is grabbing on to their imagery of what God provided the people through manna in, in the wilderness. And he says, yep, I, I am the bread uh, of life. And, and here's what he's getting at. You can be temporarily satisfied by bread. That's sustenance for a time. But true, lasting soul satisfaction only comes from belief in, in Jesus. Spiritual hunger and thirst are only satisfied in faith in Jesus. Long-term, lasting satisfaction comes from faith in Jesus alone, not from carb-loading on a baguette. doesn't come from that. Jesus uses the imagery that, that they've used about manna, and he runs with it to rearrange their perspective on what they truly need, what is truly satisfying. Just quickly for application this morning, are you looking for something other than Jesus here and now to bring you satisfaction? Think about that. Are you looking for something other than Jesus here and now to bring you satisfaction? I guess then I would ask of you, is that thing, whatever comes to mind, is that thing, whatever it is, is it truly satisfying? Do you see it as a long-term thing that, that will satisfy you? That's what Jesus is getting at here and continues to get at in, in the following verses. Before we get to some, some challenging words from Jesus, um, let me just state the point for us this way. A life of faith is a satisfying gift of God. There's a lot packed in even to that statement, um, and, and we won't spend a tremendous amount of time in these verses. Um, some of these things are challenging to hear and, and to walk through, and, and in many ways, these words from Jesus have divided the church, and, and that division, I believe, is a tactic of the enemy to distract us from the fact that faith is a satisfying gift of God given through Jesus. A well-known theologian from the 14 and 1500s, uh, Martin Luther, he, he says in his commentary on John, let, let me paraphrase this, it's a long um, uh, paragraph, let me, let me just paraphrase it. He, he says something like this, he says, we wouldn't expect a prince or an army general, some, some ruling authority, we wouldn't expect a ruling authority of any kind to divulge all of their plans and strategies to the people at large. Right, uh, but for some reason, unless God invites us into the why and the wherefore of his doctrines, we won't believe. Does that make sense? For some reason, when it comes to God, we've got to know everything or, or we just won't believe. We won't believe that he's good. We won't believe that he's sovereign. We won't believe that he's over everything. In other words, God, unless God gives us all of the rationale for what he's doing and why he's doing it, we're going to cry foul. 
and, and you and I have probably done that from time to time. There are at times challenging truths about God that we may never understand, that, that may be difficult for us to comprehend. And the Bible itself tells us that that's going to be the case, right? that, that God's ways are not our ways, that his ways are above our ways, that the, the depth and the, and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, it's unsearchable. It's, it, we, we can't know the mind of God. That, that's biblical. And so in verse 37 of chapter 6, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In other words, everyone who turns to Jesus in belief has turned to Jesus in belief because God the Father has given that person the faith to turn to Jesus in belief. And not only that, here's the comfort, if that wasn't, a comfort enough. Here's the comfort. If and when you turn to Jesus in belief, you will not be rejected. You will not be turned down. You will be kept safe by Jesus. Jesus says, that's the will of God the Father for me, to hold you, to not reject you. That, that he would accept and protect and preserve everyone the Father has given to him. J- Jesus himself says in verse 40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes will have eternal life, and Jesus will not reject but sustain their, their faith and, and raise them up. Now, a life of faith is a satisfying gift of God. If you've turned to Jesus in belief that he is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, that he's come to bring eternal life, if you've turned to Jesus in belief, that is a gift of God that is meant to bring satisfaction. Not hunger and not thirst. That faith is grounded in the bread of life and the the living water. And the Jews that day can't conceive of the fact that, that this Jew, Jesus, right, whose parents they know, we know Joseph, we know, we know his parents, they, they know the family, they, they can't conceive of the fact that, that he would say, I've come for, down from heaven. And, and so Jesus again tries to rearrange their questioning, and he says, don't grumble about that. Verse 44, he says, no, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him hear that no one can come to me unless the father draws him the, the prophet uh, even uh, speaks to this in, in verse 45 jesus says the, the prophet and he's quoting from isaiah 54 13 they will be taught by god and if they've heard and learned from the father they will go to jesus in faith everyone who truly knows god will come to jesus because they're drawn there by god in the first place and whoever believes will have eternal life And then Jesus drops the mic in verse 48 by just closing it up and saying, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Even though so much of this is challenging to understand that the ways of God here, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, it's unsearchable. We can't know the mind of God. Even still, from Jesus' words, we land in a place of seeing A life of faith is a satisfying gift of God. Eternal life because of Jesus does not come about because of something I've chosen to do. It's a gift 
of God. He's the one who's sovereign over all things, not least of which the giving of faith that leads to eternal life. It's a gift of God. It seems as if so much of of what Paul the Apostle has written in his letters in the New Testament are are a commentary of and, and an explanation of Jesus' words even here. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, many of you may know this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. What's next? And this is not your own doing. It's, a, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is not on us. It's a gift. You don't earn a gift, Right? Faith is a gift of God, not a result of doing anything. Listen, friends, we wouldn't have gone to Jesus to find salvation had not God drawn us to Jesus. We would not have gone to Jesus to to find salvation had had not God drawn us to Jesus. That's in the Bible. That's not from me. That's not what we believe as a church. That's in the Bible. Those words are from the mouth of Jesus in John 6, 44. That's not easy to understand, but but it's biblical. A a life of faith is a satisfying gift of God. It's satisfying because Jesus is the all-satisfying bread of life and living water, right? The, The one who gives eternal life. And so I think even in these um, difficult things to, to sort of read through and comprehend and, and allow to sink in, I think there's a few ways we can respond. Three ways that I, that I think we can respond. I think first, if this morning you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died to pay the penalty of sin, that God raised him from the dead, if you believe, if you would call yourself a believer, I think the response there is none other than worship. I think we've got to be in a place where we would say, in gratitude, I worship the God who's called me to himself. The God in his grace and kindness gave the faith that I would need to turn to Jesus in belief, and now I've been given eternal life. Our response is not in pride, look at me, look at what I've got, but it's in humility, worshiping. I think that's our first response. I think another way to respond in reference to these verses is, is pray. Right? None of us knows who God is drawing to Jesus, right? We don't know that. We don't know the mind of God. That's his work. And so our response is pray. I'm reminded of Paul's words in, in Romans 10.1 where he says, my Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, is that they would be saved, that they may be saved. Hear hear Paul's words, my heart's desire and what? My prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Is your heart's desire that, that, that that person, you know, that person, whoever that is, that they would be saved? Something we've been praying about as a church, that God would draw people to himself and and save many. And so I think a response from this, even not knowing what God's plan is and who's going to draw to Jesus, not knowing that, we we pray, we labor in prayer. 
And then the third response from, from I think, the wor- words of Jesus in John 6, I think, is, is just very simply believe. I think that's a response. Believe. Uh, from this morning, do you sense God doing something in you? Are you stirred in, in some way this morning to find satisfaction in something lasting because everything else has been a dead end in your life? Is God drawing you this morning to believe in Jesus? If so, I think there's a responsibility on your part, and there's a response, and that response is believe. Believe that Jesus is your only satisfaction, that he died to pay the penalty of sin, to give you life, to be with God forever. Believe is a response. Everyone. Listen, this is for everyone. Jesus is central here. And I don't mean that to be simple. I heard some comments last week. It was encouraging, but some comments from people who aren't really a part of the church, but they've been watching and listening in. They said, really like the way that you all put together your worship gatherings because it's all centered on Jesus. So encouraging to hear, but my question is, what else would we center it on? The central theme here is Jesus. That's the message that he's speaking to the crowd in the synagogue, right? That's the message he's speaking to to us even this morning. It's all about Jesus and life with him. He ties it back to something they could understand again in verse 40, 49. uh, In fact, let's finish out these verses. Look at verse 49. We'll finish this out. He says, your fathers ate the manna. He's going back to the manna again. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me... He also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Without much time to to get into this, Jesus' point here is a life of faith is one of feasting on Jesus. A life of faith is one of feasting on Jesus. The, the Jews don't get it. that They didn't understand, and they began arguing. What, what, what does this mean? What, what is he getting at? And so Jesus uh, begins to communicate, and, and he says, that the bread your ancestors ate was temporary. It was temporary by the fact that we, we know they, they died. The, the only true lasting life comes from eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Let's just be completely honest here. That's weird, right? 
That's got to be strange. That's strange for me. That's strange for, for us. It, it was strange to the Jews. It's got to be strange to anyone listening in. If you just wa- happen to be watching this this morning and you just heard Jesus say, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, right, if that, that, it's just strange. But we've got to understand what Jesus is saying. Some have said, well, maybe he's alluding to the Lord's Supper, to, to communion. And the, the bread is the body, the, the wine is the blood. And certainly John is writing decades after Jesus first institutes the Lord's Supper. So there, there's maybe some connection there, but, that, but that's not Jesus' primary concern here. It's not what he's getting at. In this day, when you, when you would hear the word flesh, it, it typically had to do with life, with human life. Flesh was synonymous to life. And likewise, in this day, when you heard the word blood, it typically had to do with death, the shedding of blood, the loss of blood. It had to do with death. A few times over in this text, Jesus talks about eating the flesh and drinking the blood. This feeding on or feasting also had connotations. What does he mean by that? And the best way I can describe that would be not to say it this way, when, when you read a good book, we'll just say this for instance, when you read a good book, you may say, oh, I, I ate that thing up, right? I, I devoured it, right? Now, you don't literally mean, right, that you devoured that Nancy Drew series that you were in. That's not what you literally mean. What is meant by that is you feasted on it, right? You, you took it in and it affected you in some way, right? It, it got to you. You just went right in and, and got after it. But Put all that together, right? So put all these things together that Jesus is saying right in the middle of this passage here. In fact, I want you to see verse 54 again. I think it pulls it all together. Uh, Verse 54 of chapter 6, Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, allow me to reword some things to get the context that we just gave about those three different categories of flesh and blood and feasting. I'll just put it this way in my words. Whoever feasts on me, this is what Jesus is getting at, whoever feasts on me and everything that I'm about, my life, right, the flesh, and my death, the blood, Whoever feasts on me, on those things, has life, true abiding life. Whoever is feasting on the truths about who I am and what I've come to do has life. A life of faith is one of feasting on Jesus. Not literally, metaphorically, spiritually, feasting on the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to be near us on earth to, to live as a human to, perfectly so, so that he could die perfectly and give his life, shed his blood to pay the penalty of our sin and reconcile us to the Father, feasting on the truth of the gospel. Can I just ask this question this morning as we finish up? This is going to be simple. Are you feasting on Jesus? Are you allowing the truth of the gospel to penetrate your heart this morning? Whether or not you, you've walked the Christian life for years or, or days, 
Are you feasting on Jesus, allowing the truth of the gospel to really get into your heart? Jesus came to earth, sent from heaven, we're we're told, to live a human life, life and also die a human death so that we would be reconciled to God. Are you taking the time, friend, to feast on that? This is not something that should become old to us. Are you taking the time to feast on it? What in your day, what in your week have you set aside to feast on the goodness of the gospel? To just let it sink in that God sent his son to stand in your place to reconcile you to, to himself as an enemy. What are you doing to, to allow that to sink in? Would you listen to the, the truth of the gospel from Paul in, in Colossians 1? He says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let that sink in. What are you doing to feast on that? That Jesus came here to do the will of the Father, that in his life and by his death, we would then be presented as blameless to God reconciled to God. That is the gospel, right? And a life of faith saturated in the gospel is not about doing, right? Rather, faith is a satisfying gift of God given to you, right? Offering a life of feasting on the goodness of Jesus. What are you doing to allow that to sink in, to feast on the truth of the good news of Jesus? Can I pray for us this morning and we're going to continue to sing and to rejoice in what God is doing in and among us this morning. Let's pray. God, we um, come to you in a long passage like this that there's some challenging things to hear. We come to you trusting that you do a work. You've promised um, to to not allow your word to return void. And so we're trusting that the word uh, that that we've just read and studied would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that that your word would then draw us into deeper affections for you. God, my prayer is that we would would not see Jesus as just uh, something that gets us what we want but we would see Jesus as the king who's worthy to be worshiped. And a life of faith is not about doing more. And a life of faith is, is, is a gift from you. It's a satisfying gift from you because it's rooted and grounded in Jesus. And, and God, my prayer is that we would see that a life of, of faith is one, an ongoing one of feasting on the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. God, I pray that that would not become old to us, that we would be wowed by that daily, hourly. The gospel is good news. Would you help us to believe that you've given your son and reconciled us to you as enemies? You've reconciled us into relationship with you. Help us to believe that. And God, if there's anyone this morning watching uh, from their own living room, would you... 
uh, who, who doesn't yet know you, would you do a work in them? It, just like Jesus says here that you, Father, are the one who draws people uh, to Jesus. Uh, and, and so would you do that work? Would you do that work, we pray, that all these things we ask in the name of your Son. Amen.